Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Exactly what he said. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. I say it and I mean it, and you know it's true. Welcome, welcome, welcome again. I have a buzz on the street from a gentleman named Keith Ferrazzi, American author and entrepreneur. Uh, he wrote the best-selling New York Times bestsellers, Never Eat Alone and Who's Got Your Back? And here's the quote. Well-managed, dispersed teams can actually outperform those that share office space. But here are the must-haves. The right team, the right leadership, the right touch points, and the right technology. That's almost a primer or a primer, if you will, of how to do brainstorming and collaboration remotely. And that just happens to be our topic. Let's, let's level set a little bit here. If you walk into a typical modern tech startup, that really has a physical office. You're going to see these great open spaces. You'll see whiteboards. You'll see people collaborating in corners and talking and everybody looking exciting. Everybody will probably be casual dressed down. You may see ping pong tables and free food everywhere and these exotic coffee machines. And mostly you'll see people talking to each other face to face, the old fashioned way. It's the new fashioned way. But More and more companies are hiring around the country, around the world. For some companies, it does not matter where an employee is based. If you're smart, if you're on point with what their mission is, they want you. They will hire you. So how do you get people together if they can't see each other face-to-face? They can't shake hands, pat on the back, give a hug, share a cup of coffee, pour coffee for each other. It's getting to be a big issue. In his recent article in the Washington Post, Brian Mattimore, who happens to be one of our panelists today, discusses what he calls virtual ideation, and he raises the question of how technology might affect future working environments and the ability to generate new ideas. There's a caption on the article that says, virtual brainstorms with an in-person feel. Next-gen technology can help remote coworkers connect and innovate, and that's our keyword today, innovate better in a digital-focused workplace. Amen. So, This is Internet of Things with Game Changers. Why are we talking about this topic? Because the Internet of Things is all about innovation. You know that. You hear our shows. Where does innovation happen? What kind of environments do we need? What kinds of people? The experts speak. I am so pleased to welcome three ideators. They're all experts on this topic. Let me tell you who they are. They've all been on before. First up in a moment, I will welcome back, very happy to welcome him back, Brian Matamore. I just quoted him. He's the co-founder and chief idea guy at the Growth Engine Company. Never ceases to amaze me how innovative his title is. So there you go, Brian. There's there's kudos, props for you. Joining him is Christopher Bishop. He's been on before. What a background Chris has. He is now the chief reinvention officer at a company called Improvising Careers, and we'll find out what that all means. And rounding out the panel is our own one and only Ira Burke, who is a VP of something at SAP. I can't keep up with his title. Ira, what's your title today? Go, go well, solutions go to market. Uh, sales plans and enablement, so part of go to market for the Hana database team. 
Okay, thank you very much. I never know because Iris' bio seems to change every three and a half weeks because he's on every month, so we have to keep up with him. So, gentlemen, welcome, and I'm delighted to have you on such an exciting topic, and it was actually suggested to us by Brian Mattimore about a week ago, and here we are. So, Brian has sent us an opening quote from Richard Bach, B-A-C-H, Bach, Bach, however you pronounce it. Uh, you may know him as the author of a book, a little book that was kind of successful back in the 70s called Jonathan Livingston Seagull and Illusions, The Adventures of a Reluctant Student. He wrote works of fiction and he was fascinated, is fascinated, still alive, born in 36, fascinated with flying with planes uh, he had a, a love of a love of aviation his books are related to flying in a metaphorical context he's been interested in flying as a hobby since he was 17 years old anybody who's not familiar Jonathan Livingston seagull is a story about a seagull who flew for the love of flying rather than merely to catch food transcript the manuscript was turned down by many publishers until Macmillan saw it as an aha there were pictures of seagulls in flight by photographer Russell Munson. The book contained fewer than 10,000 words, which apparently was a level, Brian, where you thought you were going to have a successful book. For some reason, Wikipedia seems to think we need to know that it had fewer than 10,000 words, but it sold a million copies and more in 1972 and became a number one bestseller. So here's the quote, not the one you're expecting, all of you. Here's the quote. A professional writer is an amateur who didn't quit. Brian Mattimore, how are you? I'm great, Bonnie. Good to be here. Well, delighted to have you, and thank you for suggesting the topic. It's a very, very good one and very present and top of mind for for, for the four of us. We can't see each other. This is virtual radio, so we're collaborating in a, in a very true and very present sense, and we can't see each other. I don't know if people remember or realize that Internet radio, in most cases, there are no visuals. We're just all over the world. So, Brian, you picked a quote that we weren't expecting from Richard Bach, because his famous quote is, if you love someone, set them free. If they come back, they're yours. If they don't, they never were. That's from Jonathan Livingston Seagull. And that was a romantic quote, a love quote in the 70s and 80s. I remember it. So why did you pick this quote? A professional writer is an amateur who didn't quit. I love it. Go ahead. Well, I picked it because I've, I've now written three books on ideation and innovation process. And in, you know, in school, in elementary school, I had a terrible, terrible time writing. Um, I, I was a terrible writer. And when I, when I got to Dartmouth, I, it wasn't uh, moron writing, but it was, you know, English 5, which those people who couldn't write very well were put in those classes. And, and I had such a, such a difficult struggle with it. Um, but um, I, I kept at it. And, and so, uh, you know, I started publishing articles, and then I was writing for Success Magazine. And ultimately, I've written three books. So um, any of those aspiring uh, writers or aspiring anything, frankly, um, you, you, you can start pretty slow, as, as, I, well, as, as I certainly did. And tell me something, Brian. We're talking about virtual. We're talking about remote workers. We're talking about people who can't, as I said in the beginning, pour each other a cup of real coffee in front of each other and that at a boy or at a girl or at a whoever you are, pat on the back or let's sit around the real table and make eye contact. So how does this writing quote relate to this topic? Um, well, I think for me, um, we, we got an assignment from a, from a large pharmaceutical company, and they said, we, uh, we'd like to come up with some new ideas for some new products, uh, some new ways to merchandise those products, new distribution models, et cetera. 
and uh, but we have 18 offices worldwide. Can you help us do that? Uh, and, and they said, we don't have a budget for we, to fly to 18 countries to go facilitate those in-person ideation sessions. Uh, can you help us? And I, you know, frankly, I, my first thought was no, because I recognize the, I mean, I've spent my whole career, uh, you know, facilitating in-person ideation sessions, and I thought this is, this is not, not going to work. Um, but, not unlike Jonathan Siegel become, starting as an amateur, um, I've, I've become a professional, if you will, on how to do uh, remote ideation sessions. And, and the thing that I would say about it, the critical thing that is, was a eureka when I finally had it, I didn't have it at the beginning, was that you have to think of these sessions very, very differently than you would a normal ideation session. And we can get into the specifics of that. Um, but, you know, if, if you think of different environments, um, you know, mountain mm-hmm. climbing or scuba diving or walking or playing a sport, whatever these things are, they're different laws and tools and equipment associated with each of those different environments, and you have to play them very differently. And as soon as I had that revelation or eureka moment, mm-hmm. I understood that I had to design these sessions very differently with very different rules. Thank you. And I'm, I'm thinking, Brian, that for this quote, professional writer is an amateur who didn't quit, I'm thinking we could change out a couple of words in that. Uh, yeah. A well-oiled remote team is a team that may start out with a bunch of question marks but doesn't quit. I don't know. What do you think? I, I think, well, I think it's absolutely true. I mean, part of the ideation or brainstorm or creative process is um, you, you don't quit. I mean, you've got to generate a lot of ideas in the, in the work that we do probably it, the average is about maybe 10 to 15% of the ideas generated are any good. So if you start with mm-hmm. 85% bad, you know, you don't want to quit. You want to keep going. There you go. Thank you. And I'm glad you kept going with your writing. It sounds like you figured it out. <laughs> A lot of us did. I was so shy, I never wanted to speak in class in, in uh, many of my classes early on. And in college, I've sat in the back of the room. I was just mortified about talking for some strange reason. And here I am. <laughs> paid to talk professionally. So who knew, as they say, Brian? Brian, delighted to have you back. What happened to your middle initial? Didn't you used to be Brian W. Manamore? Yes, I still am. It's William. Um, so it's still there. Okay. <laughs> I have to put it in. <laughs> I missed. I looked everywhere and I didn't find it. But, I, you know, some things just stick in the brain. I always know Brian W. Matamore. That's just who you are to me. So there, there's some imprinting going on. Brian, thank you. And Brian invited his pal and somebody who's been on the show before. And we're so happy to have Christopher Bishop, who is now the Chief Reinvention Officer at Improvising Careers. Couldn't be better suited for this topic. And Chris has sent uh, May I call you Chris or do you want to be Christopher yeah. today? Who do you no. want to be? Chris? I know Chris is fine. Yep. Chris is good. Delighted to be here. Okay, we are too. Chris has sent us a quote from Benjamin Franklin, and if anybody doesn't know who he is, uh, Benjamin Franklin, FRS, FRSE. I love the letters after these names. January 1706 to April 1790. Apparently, there were two questionable dates. He was either born on the 6th of January or the 17th. I'm not sure it matters. An American polymath, one of the founding fathers of the U.S. And uh, Chris, in terms of improvising careers, I am always fascinated with the descriptions of people who have come in to be part of our our quote-unquote lore, people who are just, we quote them all the time. We think about the inventions, what they brought to us in terms of things and concepts and institutions. Well, Franklin was an author, a printer, 
a political theorist, a politician. He was a Freemason, a postmaster, a scientist, an inventor. He was a humorist, a civic activist, a statesman, and a diplomat. I wonder if we had to sit down, Brian and you, Chris, and Ira Burke, our third panelist, and we had to pick individual words, and we had to do it in fewer than 12 words, what we do or what we've done in our lives. I wonder if we could have such a concise list, but I but I digress. Uh, Franklin yeah. was the first U.S. ambassador to France. He became wealthy publishing his Poor Richard's Almanac and the Pennsylvania Gazette. In his 20s, he authored Poor Richard's Almanac under the pseudonym Richard Saunders. He pioneered and was the first president of the Academy and College of Philadelphia, which later became the University of Pennsylvania, Penn, to us. He was the first secretary of the American Philosophical Society and elected to its president, and he became a national hero for going against the Parliament of Great Britain to repeal the Unpopular Stamp Act here in the States. Uh, Kind of a guy who had nothing else to do, what can I say? So here is the quote. When you're finished changing, you're finished. I love it. Chris Bishop, officially welcome back, and tell me how you picked this quote. Well, thank you. So I'm a, I'm a huge Ben Franklin fan. I'm um, a firm believer that sort of everybody is waxing philosophic here. Everybody has sort of polymath capabilities that they may or may not recognize. And when I, when I give talks and write, I try to encourage people to be aware of that perspective, you know, that uh, we all do a lot of different things. And uh, we should embrace them and, and look for ways to connect them. And, um, you know, that, that we, we all have that sort of capability. Certainly not to the degree that Ben Franklin does. But, I mean, I've done, I, my wife and I actually took a pilgrimage to Philadelphia and uh, went, hired a context tour guide to take us around for three hours to where Franklin had lived and where he worked and where he went to church and uh, where his printing shop was and so uh, but I, again, encouraging in the global borderless workplace, to, sitting here in 2018, certainly everyone, but especially people in college and young workers, millennial workers, to think about the fact that they're going to do a lot of different things over the course of their lives, just the way Franklin did. Mm-hmm. Because they can, not because they have to, because we're at a tipping point in time in terms of technology and culture and globalization where people can do lots of different interesting things some concurrently some sequentially thank you very much and i i have speaking of franklin i have some sad news i just got the blast that aretha franklin has passed away and it just hit hit me that we're talking about benjamin franklin another another innovator let me take a breath Okay. Okay. Yeah, we were we were waiting for that. I'm sorry, I didn't want to bring it down, but it just just came across on a blast on my phone, and I said, okay, maybe this is worth. That way, we're grounding the show, and we are live, and it is today is August 16th, 2018. Just to level set. Thank you, Chris. I, I think it's fascinating that. We didn't, Chris, we didn't have internet. We didn't have communications tools. We didn't have cell phones. People were isolated. They had to go places by foot, by carriage, by horse. Benjamin Franklin did all this seriously in his day and age. He accomplished so much in the 1700s where we can look back and admire him. Isn't that amazing? It is, really. I mean, it was all sort of analog. I mean, printing... uh, information on paper and selling it on the street or tacking it up in a tavern or I mean yeah he did it he yeah, he figured he it, it out yeah. 
Everything was remote in those days until you got to where you needed to go and you could talk to people. Every, it probably took weeks for letters to arrive. So yeah, well, very, very, yeah. very fitting for our topic. Thank you, Chris. And now let's go to Ira Burke, who's been waiting so patiently. Ira is quoting for us today Lou Holtz, full name Louis Leo Holtz, born in 1937. I call him a young guy. Former American football player, coach, and analyst. Well, he only has three descriptors, Ira. What was he doing with his life? He was just the head football coach at the College of William & Mary, the North Carolina State, then the New York Jets, the University of Arkansas, University of Minnesota, University of Notre Dame, and University of South Carolina, and his career record, and somebody must know what this means, 249, 132, 7. He's the only college football coach to lead six different programs to bowl games, and the only coach to guide four programs to the final top 20 rankings. Uh, he was elected to the College Football Hall of Fame in 2008, and he joined ESPN in 2005 as a college football analyst. That's where the analyst comes from. Here's the quote. I'm scrolling down here. If what you did yesterday seems big, you haven't done anything today. <laughs> Ira Burke, how are you? Doing doing great, and you, you read that long list of Lou Holtz's accomplishments, but you didn't stop and pause on the time when he was the uh, head coach at North Carolina State, which is, of course, when uh, when, when I was his fan because that was my that was my favorite team growing up. Right? That was my, I that know. Was my I have to tell team. everybody, I moved to Durham, North Carolina, eleven months right. ago, and Ira wow. grew up here, and Ira Burke has been very, very, very <laughs> vocally jealous of where I am. So he, he, you, you love to go back to your roots. So thank you very much. What was it like? when you were there and Lou Holtz was, was uh, on the football, in charge of football. Well, well. So first of all, the the, the big sport was was always basketball. But even so, right? It was. Uh, it's great. He has great inspirational quotes, and the one for for today, right? So it's it's so easy when you're trying to do innovation, when there are all these barriers, whether it's physical distance or anything else, to uh, to remember why it's important to stay motivated. So he's always a great source for that. He absolutely is. And Ira, tell me something. I told you about Brian Matamora's article in the Washington Post about remote teams and uh, virtual ideation and working with, from different parts of the world and getting people to collaborate well so that you could actually embrace and enjoy innovation in, in companies today. And instantly you said, yes, and we can relate this to Internet of Things. So why don't you connect the dots or, or follow the breadcrumbs for me? How does this relate to IoT? Um, well, so, so in, in, in a number of different ways, right? So first of all, um, IoT is always an innovation topic for us, right? What can we do with it? So any work that we're doing around IoT, almost by definition, is an innovation discussion. So whatever we're going to discuss here, whatever new ideas we can share, um, apply directly to people working in the field of IoT. Um, and, and, of course, it can help, right? So any, any technologies that can benefit remote teams, and IoT certainly uh, can contribute to that category, so it's another way that it connects. Um, and then nothing whatsoever to do with IoT, but, Bonnie, I think you, you know as well as anyone um, how hard and how, uh, how much creativity it takes uh, for us, right? So here at SAP, working in a very distributed, very remote environment mm -hmm. to create uh, a sense of community and to share information. Uh, and to be innovative, and that's that's another reason that I really love the topic for today. Thank you very much, Ira. Good choice, good choice, and thank you to Brian for reaching out with us. So let's go around the table and find out a little bit about our three panelists. Let's catch up. Brian W. Matamore. Now I, I can't stop saying the W. I'm sorry. <laughs> Brian W. Matamore, where in the world are you today? What's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? Anything. It could even be an adult beverage, even though it's 1022 in the morning here on the east coast of the U.S. And uh, what powers you? And just in, in 60 seconds, tell us what's new at your growth engine company. 
Um, okay, so I'm here in, in Norwalk, Connecticut at, at my company, Growth Engine. We're an innovation agency. Um, in terms of my favorite beverage, uh, well, I thought it would actually be fun to create a new beverage or one that I've never never tasted before. I'm, I'm, I'm mixing it together now. So I'm Brian. mixing together some uh, so Brian, swept, yes. <laughs> swept orange-flavored uh, seltzer with some unsweetened uh, gold peak tea, and I've never had this combination before. I don't think I've even ever had seltzer and uh, unsweetened iced tea before. So let me take a sip. Let me see how this is. Yeah, please do. We're, we're having an on-air tasting, everyone. We've never had remote tastings before. Um, you know, it's actually pretty good. It's, um, it's, it's refreshing. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Thank I might, goodness. I might actually drink this. It's pretty good. So We didn't want to hear you having an adverse reaction on yeah, the air, Brian. Really. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, so that's, uh, that's my beverage choice. Um, in terms of what we're up to, um, my gosh, we're, we're doing some really fun things. We, we, I just got back from um, Bentonville. There's a famous retailer down there, and we were doing a joint ideation session between them and one of our uh, frozen food clients. Um, and, and so that was fascinating to, to get the buyer um, at Walmart to be part of our ideation. We, and so we had the buyer for three hours, which, of course, is virtually impossible in these times, right? But uh, we ideated yep. new products together, and it, and it was great. Um, and, um, you know, then a few weeks ago, I was with the Copyright Office, the U.S. Copyright Office, and we were working with their executive team to invent uh, new, new, new growth, well, I don't know if you'd call them growth strategies, but how they sort of reinvent themselves to uh, do a better job of servicing their, their clients. They're part of the Library of Congress, and so that was a, a fascinating and wonderful event as well. Very exciting. Chris, uh, Chris I'm going to get to Chris in a second. Brian, the idea that you can have a company dedicated to helping other companies innovate. Was this a breakthrough thing you came up with when you, you created the Growth Engine Company? Uh, was this something where perhaps investors or angel people looking or what we call the circle of, of the FFF family, friends and fools said, seriously, Brian, a company about innovation? How are you going to deliver that one? Was there a lot of pushback? Um, early on, there was. I, I had trouble figuring out how to make a living at it, so I was, you know, writing, and, and uh, then I'd get an assignment to, I remember I got an assignment to name a new cheese Frito, but, um, but I was fascinated with the creative process, and so began to learn a lot about it. I began to write about it, and I was asked to, to do a session, and I said, oh my gosh, I could maybe turn this into a business, and then after I did I've literally done over a thousand ideation sessions now. Mm. Um, I, I was then able to uh, evolve that into a not just ideation, but innovating and 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 helping companies bring products and ideas to market. So so more than just the original ideation session. So um, not unlike the quote I shared, that was another sort of amateur becoming a professional, mm-hmm. trying out different things um, and having the the passion to to pursue them. Uh, wherever they led, and frankly, not knowing how I would make a living at the beginning. Thank you very much, and that's a perfect segue into getting to know Chris Bishop, who is the Chief Reinvention Officer at Improvising Careers. Chris, Brian W. Matamore is the the poster child for Improvising Careers, would you say? Uh, Yeah, and actually, he and I have been working together, and we do... um we do workshops around sort of future career invention. It's been fantastic. And Brian is obviously very, very talented, very creative guy. As you say, it's amazing. I mean, he has his company, and he works with big clients. I have to say, kudos, you know, coming up with interesting new 
uh, ideas around products and services and and how to create value. It's pretty remarkable. It is pretty <laughs> remarkable. No and let's catch up with you, Chris does. Bishop. I know you're all over the world all of all the time. Where are you today? And what's your favorite drink? What powers you? And and give us a little quick look at what your company is. Yeah. So I um, the main thing I do is I I write and speak about a topic that I call how to succeed at jobs that don't exist yet. And it's based on the, the, I'm on career number eight. I've had seven careers so far. I think, you know, I've shared this with your audience before, but I started mm-hmm. as, I have a degree in German literature from Bennington College. I, right after school, I got a gig with a touring rock band. I played with Robert Palmer and Chuck Berry. <laughs> I ended up in the Jingle Biz in New York, and then I worked at IBM for 15 years doing exec comms and social media and virtual world activities. Amazing. So, based on that, I sort of codified how I navigated those paths, and uh, and I speak and write about uh, you know how to do it for today's learners, regardless of age. Uh, but excited to share that perspective with. with Very you. exciting. I think I've had five or six careers. I I've lost count. Yeah. I started out as a mainframe programmer analyst for the state of Oregon back in the seventies, key punching wow. and and running a system for the whole statewide community college system. Two years out of a degree, right out of a degree, as soon as I graduated, I'd never worked a day in my life before. And my, cool. I remember Chris. The first day I went to work, I said to them, "You mean I have to stay till five o'clock?" I, said, <laughs> I, I had never had a job before, and, and the big thing for me was. This is what it means when you go to work? You have to yeah. stay all day? It was just, oh, I was yeah. a student, I was a mom, I, I was i was doing things all over town in Oregon, and, and I, I just never had a job. I, I just all of a sudden had to work. So anyway, it was that was fun. Yeah. So what drink yeah, yeah. powers you, Mr. Bishop? So and so the other thing I'm doing now, so I was just up at uh, the MIT Media Lab. I'm actually um, co-authoring a paper with a professor there, Sandy Pentland. I just sent them a draft last night, in fact on blockchain and AI, what that intersection is going to mean. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working as a concierge at the MTech event in September at the Media Lab that the MIT Technology Review runs. I'm going to London later in September to give a talk at the Open Data Science Conference on a topic I call, Your Brain is Too Small to Run Your Business. Mm. Basically, how to exploit AI um, to drive business models. So. Um, and what I'm drinking is I'm drinking uh, Oren's coffee, which I buy at, in Grand Central at the food hall. Uh, and I'm a huge fan. It's like uh, it's sort of ground a special way and roasted a special way. And uh, it's very tasty. And I have a cup every morning. Very nice. Thank you very much. Obviously, it's powering you to do amazing things. Appreciate that. And now let's get to Ira Berg. By the way, we're not taking a break because it's half past and we've got so much to talk about. So, Ira, where are you today? I know you've just come back from six weeks of traveling all over the world for SAP. Where are you? What do you love to drink and what's new with you? Well, so I'm just down the road from Brian, so I'm here at home in Stamford, Connecticut. And, uh, yeah, back from, uh, from a lot of interesting places, some I'd never been to before, including uh, Bogota, Colombia, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of times in, uh, couple of times in Germany. It's been, it's been a really interesting week in my cup. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's the same mix as always, right? Three scoops of caffeinated, two scoops of decaffeinated um, in, as uh, you know, a better coffee maker than I had a few weeks ago. So uh, that's all positive. Bonnie, I want to go back to something that you mentioned at the beginning, um, which is Benjamin Franklin's birthday. You said it was either the 6th or the 17th of January. 
Yes. Um, of course, both are true, right, because they're the same day. Uh, and that's because of the calendar adjustment in 1752. We'll 11 days out of the calendar, switching from the Gregorian to the Julian, or from the Julian mm-hmm. to the Gregorian calendar. Wow. So, uh, so just to close the loop on that, both dates are correct and both dates are the same. Wow, and I have to close another loop. Today in 1977, another music icon left us. Elvis Presley passed away today. And I know that because it's my son's birthday. And we were traveling with a station wagon that leaked oil like the Dickens with two adults, four children, towing my boat behind it from Long Island, New York, bringing me back after summer vacation to Eugene, Oregon. And we were in a motel. How do you get a motel for two adults and four kids? It's not easy. In 1977, it was not easy. And we found one, and we turned on the TV as we lit little sparkler candles and cupcakes for my son. I think they had intimates back in those days. I won't tell you how old he was, because that'll tell you how old I am. Of course, he was a newborn. And uh, and um, the news came on the TV that Elvis had passed away. So uh, I'm looking now on uh, online and on Twitter, and it says, Aretha and Elvis both died on August 16th. And Madonna was born today? Oh, my, what a day. This is quite a day in history. Ira, 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 what's your favorite drink? Um, well, I mean, I'm partial to the coffee that's in my hands right now, so I'm not going to... But, but what it, when you travel, when you travel to other parts of the world, is it always coffee? Do you have a favorite cocktail, a wine? You just mentioned you, you were in South America. Uh, uh, what, what do you uh, drink when you're there? I'm always, I'll look for a single malt scotch when I can. That's... Yeah. That's what I was looking for. Okay, we have to get past the scoops and the Mr. Coffee and all that. we got to get to the real grown-up <laughs> beverages. See, I got it out of him. Ira, thank you very much. And by the way, I'm working with Ira's team at SAP, and I'm the warm-up uh, moderator slash comedian to open up a conversation on some serious internal webinars. And, and you brought me in for what what skills exactly in, in terms of my improvising my career, Ira? What do I do for your team? Sake, right? So um, imagine the difference between getting everybody together to listen to somebody recite a PowerPoint over a webinar for half an hour versus getting everybody together and having a warm personal introduction to the person who's about to speak, a couple of questions, build a little rapport, and the people listening feel like they know who the presenter is, where they're coming from, and questions interjected during the course of the conversation. What a huge difference it makes. All right, and this is for a team that's remote and hardly gets to ever see each other. Um, it makes a huge difference, and uh, we've seen real benefits from people being willing to pick up the phone and communicate and, uh, and, and drive innovation just by knowing each other a little bit better. And, of course, you know, we're looking to extend that to a larger group of, uh, yeah. of people who don't get to see each other very often. Yep, and it's it's so much fun to be able to do some wake-up uh, to Chris and Brian. I, I was brought in to do some wake-up, uh, shall we say, audience wake-up and pay attention and come in the room for these, these well, they're slide-driven, basically. They're for internal sales techniques and how case studies and proof of concept, and they're serious things, but I come up with trivia questions, and I ask them in the chat window and have people answer me, and I call out their names and make everybody feel welcome, and then I introduce the guest speaker, and we go on with the session. It's typically cool. about an hour long, and uh, Ira, thank you, because I'm enjoying it, and I think it is helping to connect people and feel like we're real people and not just 
slide readers. Thank you very much. Oh, and by the way, happy birthday to Madonna. She's 60 today. So what a day in music history. Aretha and Elvis have left us, and Madonna is entering a whole new era. OMG. So we're not taking a break. We are talking. If you're just joining us, we're having a lot of personal conversations here. But I'm speaking to three people who are really innovative in their careers, in their lives, and how they approach their work, how they improvise what they're doing, how they bring new ideas and energy everywhere they go. Brian W. Mattimore from the Growth Engine Company, Chris Christopher Bishop at Improvising Careers, and so much more, and Ira Burke at SAP. Our topic officially is reach out and collaborate. Long-distance innovation, question mark, meaning is it possible? So we're going to dive right into our roundtable, and Brian, I'm going to pick one of your statements because we're not taking a break, just having too much fun here. And let's talk about, um, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's talk about the working environment. First of all, you say the increasing globalization of the workforce, which I mentioned in my opening, will force new virtual models of innovation. And then you say the ability of people to contribute new ideas to the growth of their company will be dramatically affected by their evolving work environment. Let's talk about those evolving work environments. Brian? Yeah, um, and we've seen this more and more uh, where we're it just teams are having to be virtual. They don't have a choice. We've we've done some work with uh, Pitney Bowes, et cetera, and they, um, you know, they do their their teams are around the globe, and part of their training or learning was how to to get ideas from from um, people from around the globe who are were obviously sleeping at different times of the day. And so, in terms of our ideation work, um, what we've discovered is that. Um, if you have different rules about how you do that, which we've discovered there should be and are, uh, then you can succeed at it. So instead of looking at it as a negative, which is how I originally thought about it, you know, you can't get together, you can't have that human connection, you can't have that moment of eureka together that is so wonderful to experience that I've spent my life uh, researching and being a part of, um, I, I began to look at it and say, well, there are negatives here, but maybe the negatives can be positives. And that's, and that's really what I discovered. And so one of the, quote, negatives I saw, obviously, was that we're not together at the same time. Well, there are actually some pluses to that, that the asynchronicity mm-hmm. of this um, allows people to, e- even introverts, Bonnie, such as yourself early in your career, um, mm-hmm. to, to think about things before they contribute them. And so um, you, you can, if you do this sort of over time rather than in the moment, people can trigger each other um, in, a, in, a, in, an unt- in, a, in an asynchronous way. So they're not synchronized, so they, can, so they can act to trigger those ideas in others. So if you're designing this thing, you just have to think of it not as an hour or a day event. You have to think of it as a week-long event. So that's mm-hmm. the, the critical, critical idea that, that you want to start with. And then the second idea, well, maybe I'll hold and see if there's a question before I give you a second idea. Yeah, no, let's let's get Chris Bishop to weigh in on this and then Ira Burke. Let's make this, just keep this going as a roundtable and then we'll come back. I'll pick a topic from Chris's list and, and we're just evolving the conversation. Thank you, Brian. Good intro to our, our topic in the roundtable segment here. Chris Bishop, agree or disagree with Brian? Yeah, I think we're actually at a, Again, at a seminal time where, I mean, the the global economy dictates that companies are on, you know, twenty four seven. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember when I was first hired by IBM? You know, the, the VP who brought me on board said, you know, paraphrasing Lloyd Salisbury, the sun never sets on IBM. I think that's more true than ever. Is companies are interconnected. Every globally, company so. today, right? Every company. Yeah, I mean, the resources, you know, the gig economy, the contingent worker model. I mean. 
Upwork and Fiverr. People are available wherever, whenever. Uh, you can get resources engaged. You know, whether you're at a big company like SAP or IBM, or if you're like a freelancer, you know, working for a bunch of different companies. I mean, so we need smart ways to collaborate in this virtual space. I think Brian has great ideas about how to do that. And there are, fortunately, there are more and more tools that are easier and easier to operate. I got to say, as a technologist and a futurist, I wish they were better, but uh, mm-hmm. but they are what they are. Um, you know, virtual conferencing and teleconferencing. And, yes. Um, but, you know, but you know what rocks, Chris? Like what rocks is being able to do radio remotely, right? Yeah. And if, if we didn't have that ability, I couldn't have ideated, Brian, I'm going to borrow your word, I couldn't have ideated the co- concept for Game Changers Radio back in 2011 when I said to my manager, let me start a thought leadership show for SAP. We'll get people from around the world to come on and just have a conversation and we'll find yeah. a vendor, we use World Talk Radio, to get those voices together and get them yeah. out to the world. And yeah. if if we didn't have something that was at least workable and reasonably seamless, which I think we are, we, yeah. I couldn't have I couldn't have come up with this idea. This was just yeah, no. born out of a okay, let's try it. That was all it was. So you're right. Yeah. You have to have the tools. You have to have the willingness. You have to have the ideas, and you have to have people to one of our lead words in our topic today: collaborate and innovate together. And here we are. Thank you, Chris. Ira Burke, join us on this. What are we talking? We're talking about uh, the idea of work environments for remote, for global, for bringing ideas together. What are your thoughts on what Brian just shared and Chris? Well, yeah, so first of all, I think Brian made a a super important point about the counterintuitive nature Mm -hmm. of what we're doing here, that even though it seems like there are some negatives, the truth is that we're going to uncover a lot more positives as we go through it and and that there are rules for getting it right. Um, Bonnie, you put together, in order for these broadcasts to be successful, you put together a pretty extensive set of rules um, for how we get ready to, to put this yeah. together. And, and imagine if it was otherwise, right? That have, there have to be rules if we're going to pull together a diverse group of people who've never met each other and You're we're right. going to have a successful time on the air. Um, and because we're all remote and separated, we all recognize that there has to be a really strong framework to, to make this effective. And, uh, and that's one of the real positives that comes out of doing innovation when we can't, don't have the crutch of just you know, kind of walking into a room and seeing what happens. Wow. Well, Ira, thank you very much. I had never thought about that. I just thought that I require Brian and you and Chris know there's a, for our listeners, there is a PowerPoint deck that I require my guests to complete with their bio, with their opening inspirational quote, and with five narrative statement short paragraphs about what's important to them on the topic once we distribute the title of the show and an abstract. That's how the that's the basis for my opening monologue. But there are I I never had it framed quite that way. There are rules because in a way we are ideating, innovating. We're working remotely and putting it together. And there are some rules. I guess I'm the leader with the rules, and, and we all come together and agree on them. Thank you, Ira Burke. I'm I'm having a revelation here. <laughs> very very interesting. Ira always has such wonderful words of wisdom. I'm circling back around to Brian, and I just want to read one more statement from you, Brian, before I go into some Internet of Things fascinations from Chris Bishop. You say, Brian Matamore, the creativity of employees is the single greatest underexploited resource on the planet. Let's just quickly go around the table on that because I know you all have something to say. The creativity of employees is the single greatest unexploited resource on the planet, meaning tap into the team you already have. Brian, explain, please. 
Yeah, um, I, I think I, I should say it's important to know that when we do ideation remotely um, and get people to be creative, um, we are using stimuli to trigger people. So this is not traditional brainstorming, which really has been shown not to work. The key to that is triggering, using stimuli to trigger people. And so to get to your statement there, we discovered in this work that we've done is that people out there can generate the stimuli to then trigger their co-working team. And so when we were doing this uh, world, you know, healthcare project or whatever, we had these 18 offices worldwide. All of these people, because they had unique cultures, unique environment, unique people, unique talents, we used them to generate the stimuli to trigger their coworkers. And so the key here is it's putting faith in all the people that you're working with about their inherent creativity and differences and championing those and leveraging those um, to get new ideas. And so I say it's the most underexploited resource because in in a command and control environment um, versus a bottom-up, democratic, using everybody's unique talents uh, environment, um, you're not getting the best out of your people. Thank you very much. I guess that's the goal. Chris and, and Ira, let's get your thoughts on this. It's a very powerful statement about, what do they say? Uh, the old old statement was charity begins at home. I'm thinking of look in your own home, see what you've got. You know, you can make anything for dinner if you actually look in the cabinet, look in the fridge and create something. Who was it who's making a drink today? It was you, Brian, Mattimore. You're ideating yeah. a, a brand new drink. Interesting. So, Chris Bishop, thoughts on what Brian just shared? Well, I think certainly the the point about trust, I think, is key. That's a that's a big that's a big topic, obviously. But I mean, trusting that people will bring ideas, that they'll feel comfortable opening up and sharing perspective, and that they'll be creative. Um, and I think it's even more important in virtual collaboration and virtual settings, right? Because uh, you know, people can do their email or sit doing messaging or texting or whatever, you know, watching a video on YouTube. I mean, uh, so the commitment to trusting that the people getting involved are going to bring their best, bring their A-game, mm-hmm. bring their ideas and feel comfortable sharing them, I think is key. Because, you Very know, again, in, a, in a live mm-hmm. meeting, you can kind of, you know, you, you don't have to say anything. You can sort of fake it or just take, look like you're taking notes or whatever. But in a <laughs> virtual setting, the way they're successful is by... <laughs> Establishing trust and encouraging people to contribute. Yes, and I'm uh, Brian. I'm going to bring in one thing, Ira. I want your comments, but I recently finished taking a, another improv class. Just I wanted to get back to the basics of improv, and the mantra there is yes and. You validate, you acknowledge your partner in a scene, and you take it to another level. So I think that's what we're talking about: trust and validation, and not smashing anybody's ideas, but bringing the best so that people know they will be heard. I think it's a great concept, Ira. What's your thought about bringing ideas to the table? And getting people to trust. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 a, it's a great topic, and it's um, listen. It's it's a real struggle sometimes when you're when you're organizing or bringing people together in this environment. Um, on the one hand, um, you really want to encourage people to just go where the conversation is leading them. Really identify um, new creative ideas and let them build from people who are contributing on the table. Uh, on the other hand, there's always people kind of lurking in the back, and who knows, right? If they're on there doing emails or, or doing something different or maybe just afraid to speak up. So there's always a little bit of a balance of pulling in um, people who haven't been part of the conversation or maybe steering the conversation mm-hmm. a little bit of direct, in, in a, different, a different direction while at the same time um, letting people take it where they want to go. 
Um, I don't know if there's a good answer to that except to try to always remember to do both. There you go. Thank you very much. Chris Bishop, hey, I'm hey, looking Bonnie, at you. I, I yeah, just go wanted, ahead. This, Brian, sure. I just wanted to say on that that in terms of that steering, we, we did a lot of steering in our virtual ideation stuff. We would mm-hmm. send assignments to everybody and get them to send those back. Then we would curate that, reintroduce that to the group as a whole. So there was a tremendous, rules, if you will, there was a tre- tremendous amount of uh, sort of backroom or facilitation work on our part to make sure that everybody was participating and nobody could, could hide. Interesting, interesting, very interesting. I'm starting a, a little group here in my community called Live on Stage, and the idea is that it doesn't matter whether you can sing a Kit Kat commercial like Chris Bishop did. I, Chris, before we go, you have to sing it for me, please. Uh, <laughs> you, you can't just be audience. You have to participate. Whether you're reading, a, cold reading a comedy script, whether you're telling a story, you're introducing yourself, everybody has to do something to contribute to the group. You can't sit on the side and hide, as Brian just said. Thank you. Chris Bishop, you want to sing it now, or should I go to one of your topics? Uh, I can sing it now. Go ahead. Give me a break. Give me a break. I'll break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. Whoa! How was that? Did I pass Fant- you know what? I, I clapped hard enough that the light on my desk turned on by itself, and it's not, not a dig- it's not a digital light, Chris. It just triggered the switch, and I've got a lamp on my desk. Uh, that was Amazing. It was the singing that did it. This is a, a day for the record books. Okay, so let's go. Chris, you, you're talking here about just appreciating that this is the Internet of Things with Game Changers. Let me just read a couple of very interesting statements for from you. You say, as the Internet of Things continues to evolve, you'll soon be talking to your clothing. And Chris says, I look forward to the day when my house will recognize my face and open the door when I walk up to it. Um, let me see. Uh, choosing whether to put a chip in your baby will become a routine decision for parents in five years and you say 3D printing of organs and tissue will transform medicine. Some great ideas there. If we didn't have remote ideation, we wouldn't have this, would we, Chris? Tell me about some of your favorite uh, innovations. Well, so I'm doing a lot of work uh, in sort of 3D face recognition and face authentication recently. Um, And I think the implications are huge, especially in sort of high-traffic transit uh, areas like uh, train stations or access to events or border crossings or even you know British Airways is using uh, face recognition in Terminal 5 at Heathrow to allow people to get on planes without having to show any kind of paperwork so um, that's an area that I you know I focus on sort of biometrics and especially face because face is pretty hard to manipulate and you always have it with you <laughs> it's always public it's always out in the world, um, bordering on scenarios like The Matrix, where Tom Cruise has his eyes replaced, right? Mm. But uh, I, I think it's um, so. It's a, you know, it's it's a way to the the broader picture is a way to pro, that it provides a way for secure authentication, as a way to thwart cybersecurity threats, as a way to um, provide um, authentic and quick uh, identification across a range of use cases. So that's one area I've been writing and speaking about recently. 
Fascinating. Thank you. Ira, this is your area. This When you and I collaborated remotely, keep going back to that. That's our topic. About five years ago on putting together this particular radio series, which is now one of 38 series that I produce and host for SAP, I think 17 or 18, 19 are live this year. Ira, you came up with the idea for a show called The Internet of Things with Game Changers, and we've certainly covered a broad range of topics under that title. But let's go back to some of the interesting things that Chris just talked about. Are you still fascinated with IoT, Ira? Is that still your core focus? <laughs> Listen, it's 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 not it's, it's not core, but it's but it's but it's a critical part. It's a critical yeah. part of what we do, and. Um, and uh, and so yeah, so it's part of, for sure part of the core. We are um, you know, these, these conversations right that we have on the radio have been a great way to explore um, the different ways that people are innovating, bringing together people um, again under the topic of innovation who don't normally get a chance to speak together like like the four of us right now, and just to be able to exchange ideas to do that in a forum. Um, sometimes even people listening uh, live on the radio, we see them tweeting and sharing their own ideas, and sort of encourage mm-hmm. people to do that as well. Uh, so I think that um, that this opportunity for for remotely collaborating is uh, is is really important. It's essential if we're going to be sharing ideas. It's no good just sharing ideas with the people that you can see down the hall. And, Very uh, interesting. Very now. I want to. We have just a couple minutes. We're actually in the predictions round. But Ira, I want to establish something here about this remote collaboration for innovation. You say remote teams need to adopt a rhythm of communication and stick to it. It may sound counterintuitive, but a regularly scheduled meeting with a consistent agenda can be the best way to promote open and spontaneous dialogue. And this goes back to what Brian just said a couple minutes ago about homework assignments. People know that their ideas will be acknowledged and. Appreciated and and discuss. So this idea of regular communication, how important is it, Ira? It, 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 it's tremendously important, right? It's it's the way that we that we foster a team uh, to work together. And you know, look, my own team, you know, is scattered um, from one end of North America to the other end in Europe, uh, and we and we in turn work with people in in every corner of the world. Uh, so in in order to be effective, we need a good working relationship. In order to have that relationship, you need a place where people can speak, and we do that. Um, because we, we try to stay on schedule, right, for every week, getting people mm-hmm. together and every couple of weeks, making sure that there are conversations, but also things like like knowing just to pick up the phone, right? It's amazing yeah. how people, um, really? I don't know, maybe it's a generational thing that people are just uh, a little bit afraid, it seems like, to just call somebody and have a conversation. Um, and we need to promote more of the spontaneous conversation, especially when we're widely separated teams. Thank you very much. And on that note, we're going to circle back to Brian W. Matamor. Sir, it's time for our predictions round. I have 60 seconds for each of you. That is all we've got. Great conversation, by the way. Our topic is reach out and collaborate, long-distance innovation, question mark. So, Brian, let's look between 2020 and 25. You get to pick when and what will change dramatically. It could be a technology. It could be, we'll call it the Matamor syndrome. I don't know what it is. But 60 (laughs) seconds, what do you want to do? Talk to me, predictions, go. Well, I do think that, I mean, if we presume ideas are important to the future of the world, and they are, and if we assume that uh, uh, people and, and, and the time they spend at work is, is one of the biggest investment an organization has, I think it's sort of almost a foregone conclusion that in the future, and, and, and that we're working uh, virtually and globally, that we will have uh, global virtual ideation facilitators. And there are certain skills with that. Introverts can do this extremely well. Mm-hmm. They'll need to be, you know, um, facile and, and used to using ideation process. 
and they, they will also, um, uh, frankly, need to be able to manage uh, all the others around the world. Uh, and so it's a combination of, of interesting skills and um, that, that will go into this global virtual ideation facilitator future job. Thank you very much. Well put, as always. Let's go to Chris Bishop. 60 seconds. Go ahead. Okay, so I'd say certainly 2025, um, and on the theme of Internet of Things, as sensors and actuators get more broadly deployed, uh, keyboards will go away. It'll all be voice activated. We'll be interacting, as I said. We'll be talking to our clothes. We'll certainly be talking to our cars or vehicles that we won't be driving. They'll be autonomous, right? Talking Mm -hmm. to buildings, talking to um, appliances, uh, I think that the ML, to some degree, with the implication, the implications for AI, they'll be intuiting what we're trying to say, what we're, what our needs are, what the interaction might be. So shorten the cycle time to value in terms of interaction with technology. Thank you very much, Ira Burke. Sixty seconds, all yours. Vite, vite, quick, quick in French. Go. <laughs> And I think, I think that um, you know, we've been talking a little bit about counterintuitive ideas that come from this, from this concept of remote ideation. And I think the more things we discover that we can do remotely and the better we get at using the tools and the more discipline we get, um, the more we also discover things that need to be done face-to-face. Uh, and I think that, um, that what we're going to see over time is a much better uh, intuitive understanding, a much better discipline of knowing what you really can do when you're remote and, uh, and how you can change the nature of how teams work remotely, how to make the best use of those limited times that you do have uh, working with people face-to-face, using the remote technologies to extend the, uh, the network of people that you're reaching uh, and, uh, and create better ideas than you ever could with the people that are, that are within reach. And, uh, and I think the more we see both of those disciplines coming together, better technology to support better remote work, better discipline, better communication, also improves the way we work when we're actually face-to-face. And I, will see, I think we'll see more of both. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Fascinating topic. We were all over the map on this one because it's a huge topic, Brian Mattimore. There's so much to talk about. The idea of creating and innovating, trusting people, triggering the ideas, validating people, encouraging them to think outside the box, working outside the box, if you will, all fascinating. Ira, I think there's a much bigger topic here, and we might have to do it again. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much to my three very, very smart panelists. And Chris Bishop, that's the best singing we've ever had on Game Changers Radio. I'm so glad I asked you. Sometimes if we have extra time on a break, I'll ask a panelist to sing and I'll tell them I'll dance, but we've never had anything like that. I knew you were ready for prime time, Chris Bishop. So here's my call to action and a thank you to our intrepid, he's young, but he's intrepid and venerable, our engineer extraordinaire. Thanks, Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio for all week being there and getting us on the air and keeping us there. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the the world are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today just like brian w Mattimore at the growth engine company just like christopher bishop at improvising careers and more and just like ira burke at sap bonnie d graham signing off have a great weekend we'll be back with more live radio next week bye bye Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. 
To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. 